Hi, everyone, and welcome to Maker and Creator, the podcast about creativity and culture and how it affects us. My name is Jai Smith, and I'm joined, as always, for a whole new, new year Oops. Uh, by year. Alex Adams. How are you? I'm good. It's a new year, and it's a new season. It, it is. A whole new season. Season two, the Ooh. first one after one. How was your holiday? Yeah, it was great. It, uh, what was the highlight? Um, seeing my fam, it's always good. Went to New Zealand for yeah. New Year's, that was really nice. And then, yeah, just chilling out. I read, a, read some books. Any, any ones to mention? Uh, no, not really. Um, <laughs> they're just kind of trashy books that I read that I don't want to tell everyone. Love now, novels. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, last year we did 20 episodes, a whole 20, which was kind of, kind of terrifying, kind of really exciting at the same time. But I, I was just thinking back, I'm like... Everyone we spoke to, I kind of took something away from and it kind of shattered everything that I thought we'd do. And then everything that I thought I knew about creativity, someone said, no, but I think it might be this. And Mm. I don't know how you felt about it, but I I know I was happy. Yeah, I think what really blew me away was talking to people who have listened to the podcast. I thought, oh, people will definitely love this episode the best of that episode. (laughs) But people are like, oh, this was my favorite. And everyone I talk to has a different episode that was their favorite. (laughs) Yeah. And it just makes me think, wow, it was a really diverse season one and we talked to so many different types of um, industries and professions and perspectives on yeah. creativity, like you said, uh, which, I, which is, like, you know, I hope to get that diversity here in yeah, season two. Exactly. So I think what we really want to focus on in season two is, again, looking at creativity, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a creative mm. and kind of how contentious that whole world is and what it means? But also looking at kind of like female identities and kind of, you know, identities in general, whether they're around gender or how you describe yourself or how do you describe what you do? Because there's been such an interesting look at kind of female creatives and I'm always the first person to go, but we shouldn't make it focus just because they're female or just because they identify as female. Mm. Like it should just be about what people do and what they what they don't do or, you know, how, how successful they are. But then I started to look, especially at, at the industry of advertising, and because there is such a deep misrepresentation of unrepresentation of women in these creative uh, industries and creative roles, it started to really highlight this need to start to talk about it because I think that's what's missing. Yeah. So it shouldn't be celebration for females for female's sake, but actually look at creativity and what that means to be creative yeah and I think season one was a little bit more male dominated yeah. uh, we only had a handful of females that we did interview so I think yeah this this season we're going to make a little bit of a, a conscious effort to reach out to some more female talent and and I guess that leads to who we're interviewing today it does <laughs> so to kick off a new year it's always weird to sit in a room when people are talking around you isn't it Mads oh. uh, we're sitting with Madeline Carr aka Sports who Purple Sneak has already called out as one of Australia's hottest up-and-coming DJs so welcome to the show thank you thanks for having me is this your first podcast it is my first podcast, actually. Although I did run a radio show on FBI's digital station, FBI Click, for a year, which is we chatted about things and had mixes and stuff. So yeah. in a way, sitting in a room talking in front of mics, sort of similar, but not quite a podcast. Feels natural. Yeah. So we met at a party, because most people meet. Well, this is quite a civil party by the water. Um, and then I've kind of been glued to your Insta story since then. And, you know, you've been playing at parties and festivals really all around Australia, really. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I think we'll talk about where else around the world. Um, but tell us about yourself. How did you start getting into DJing? What did, what did it mean for you? And, and now I know you're getting into production and producing. So 
where did all this begin? It was an interesting journey, actually. I always wanted to be an actress, which I'm still kind of pursuing, um, but it hasn't been as good to me as the music industry has. And, and how I fell into it was I went to the sort of school that didn't really cater to creatives. Like, we mm. had a good drama department and there was classical music and stuff, but if you wanted to go down a creative path, it was just kind of looked down upon. You had to be, like, a lawyer or a doctor right. or a scientist or just something super academic so I went straight to uni after I finished and did a commerce degree and the particular uni I went to was fast-tracked and that was so I could go pursue acting after that and just have a degree and show my parents and show the school like I got this like don't worry I'm not gonna be a waitress for the rest of my life (laughs) Um, and then I went to start to apply for internships because I was gonna do it for a little bit maybe work in finance and um I just had this huge wave. I was like, I can't, like, I can't. It's not what I'm supposed to be doing. So I didn't know how I was going to – I knew I was supposed to be a creative, but I just didn't know how or where. So I just started bartending at this cool bar in Bondi, and they had band nights going. And I remember asking the owner who booked the bands because I thought it was really cool. I've always really loved music. And um, he said he did, and I was just – I asked him if I could. And he was like, sure. <laughs> Can I do this? So he gave me these tiny budgets, but somehow I just had a real knack for it. Just like socializing with people, like finding cool artists around, like talking to them and booking nights. And the nights just got really big. And then a few other venues sort of um, heard about these nights. So they hit me up to help them book their events and parties and, and weekend um, gigs. And then I was like, hey, I guess I'm a booking agent in the music industry <laughs> now. I was like, how do I further this? And then a job came up online for this company that I was aware of that were doing really great but similar things were definitely at the next level. And I was very under-experienced for the role, but I just got in there and managed to get a job at this company that was still quite new but going very well in the scene and worked there as a booking agent and management assistant and a whole bunch of other roles across quite a few facets of the industry. And unfortunately in the music industry, if you're not in the really commercial space, there's very little money. So if you're this was a booking agency, you take 10% of an artist's fee. So unless they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars, you thousands of dollars, sorry, and you have like office space to rent, like staff to pay for, internet bills, blah, 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 blah. There's just no money for the staff. So it's very yeah. much a passion thing. Um, so I'd constantly be trying to get a pay rise and complaining to my bosses because all my friends around me were like affording to move out of home and stuff and I still couldn't. And one of my bosses suggested that I teach myself how to DJ and really? book myself at these parties. And I was like, oh, okay, like, not a bad idea. And then as soon as I did that, it kind of snowballed from there. And it went really well and I got picked up by this local radio station in a program to support women. I got a show and I, because I was already working in the industry, people already knew me. So they were seeing me do gigs and they saw and liked it. So I just got asked to do more and more and more. And that's how I started out as a DJ, yeah. And then since then, it's been it's actually been only a few years now. Um, but recently I've done a bit of a rebrand because I've finally figured out the specific music space that I want to be in right. and excel in. And the only way to really take it to the next level as an artist is to actually write your own music. And I do have a maths brain, so... And I know and have a really strong idea of what the type of music that I like. So p- producing actually works out extremely well for me like it's it's early days but it feels definitely a space where I can excel in and where there'll be some real growth ideally down the line as an artist 
And, and when you talk about in the, in the genre and kind of where you're trying to produce, like how do you define that at the moment? It's definitely very UK focused. There's a big space for it in Australia at the moment, but like the home base for it is in London. And it's just sort of lo-fi, club-ready lo-fi meets euphoric techno sort of space. And like, yeah, just between house and techno, but on the yeah. heavy side. In, okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And, and f- what are kind of some of the bigger gigs you've played at the moment? And, you know, what, what are your favourite gigs, more, probably more important? Ooh, um, I played, I've played at Lost Paradise Festival over the oh, last wow. few years. Yeah, this one, this last one was amazing. It was the sunset slot on the main dance stage before some artists that I really admire. So that was really cool, them coming into the, set, coming into the tent and the sun had set. There was about like 5,000 people there and I was playing an original and yeah, and they said hi, and yeah, that was that was a nice moment. And then I hot tailed it to a big festival in Sydney, um, just under like a party DJ duo. So it wasn't quite a solo thing, but there was still quite a few thousand people there. So wow. it's just definitely the energy you get off five, six thousand people in the audience, just like giving you their full attention, is very invigorating. Can we go back to the fact that you taught yourself how to DJ? Are mm. you musically trained? Was it hard to learn how to DJ? Oh, um, how did you do that? Gosh, I I did do music at school, but it never and I and I did play classical guitar for a few years when I was younger, but I could not pick up a guitar now and play you anything if you asked me to. But I definitely have a small foundation in musical knowledge. But in terms of DJing, it's more about training your ear to music yeah. so you don't really have to know about the structure of it as much but you know have to, have to know about the structure of the specific songs so it's just like driving a car it's kind of like practice 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 so I would just hang back in the office and set up the decks that the company I was working for owned and yeah just sort of go for it and just get a bunch of songs I knew to get that I knew and like I just had a good network of people around me that knew how to DJ. So, because because the, the gear is so complex and big, yeah, everyone has their own little. Just like producing, actually, everyone has their own little things that work for them and little tricks that they like to use. So, if you just speak to a bunch of people, you sort of learn off them and find out what works for you. And yeah, just a bit of practice, really. And then production. I mean, that's just a whole new level. So, mm. you know, I know whenever I do secret foodies events in the past, I've booked DJs. And to be honest, it's going to be my naivety. But a lot of the time I just think, like what you just did, I'm pretty sure I could just put a mixtape on and I would have known the difference. Um, but often because they're just sliding one track into another track into another track and that's kind of what it seems at an event. But then to be producing music yeah. seems well, – that just to me, as my own naivety here, seems like just a whole new level and that it seems it's a, quite musically it's, talented. It's sound design. It's nuts. It's, this, it's the sort of stuff I'd never thought that I would – be able to do. I remember because I like I've seen the software what people write on, and you just I remember going years ago to a music conference and just watching some sort of like Kilter was there talking about how he recorded his drums into Ableton. It was just a whole different world and a whole different language, like describing sound and frequencies and all the different words, and it's it, absolutely bonkers. Um, so yeah, I, and years ago actually I went to a psychic and I was taught because I like like a bit of that every now and then. <laughs> I love that stuff. Anyway, and then, yeah, he told me he's like he told me that I was going to be a pre- producer and I was like no way like that's crazy like I wouldn't know where to start like that's absolutely bonkers. But yeah, it's just kind of like for me my career one sort of one thing is like nudged me to the next spot and I would never have been able to start 
in the next level if it wasn't for the previous. So with producing, the only reason how I even was able to make a start is because because I have been DJing for a few years now, so I do know the sounds, the specific sounds that I like, and I know the structure of the songs. So I can listen to a song now, and from DJing, I can hear specific drum hits, like specific points in the song where the keys come in or the vocals come in or like little effects that are on the DJ decks people actually put into records themselves so Mm -hmm. like one thing's really led into the other and it's it can be quite overwhelming but the way it's happened has been very natural so that's yeah but it's definitely there's a lot to learn even the best producers are still learning so much the software is super complex and yeah just but music theory has never been more interesting to me so at school as I said before I learned classical music and and basic um structure of bars and different types of ways of quantizing music but it, it was it just wasn't very interesting because there was nothing really engaging me like I didn't care about Mozart or Bach or whatever <laughs> at the time and now that's like actually relevant to music that people I respect are writing and doing and that's why it's cool and I understand it I'm yeah super engaged by it do, do people get a surprise when they realize sports is a is, is a girl or a lady <laughs> No, I don't think so. I think they, I think, I think people see the image with the name when it happens. Because we, you know, just before when I said to some of the guys I work with, I'm like, oh, I'm just interviewing a DJ tonight. And they instantly went to like a he pronoun and I went, oh, no, no, it's a girl. And she's like, oh, really? That's funny, actually. I rocked up to a festival recently and I was checking in somewhere to like, it was like glamping and they, um, they realized on the form that I was an artist and, and my partner was there, who's a guy, and he was like, oh, cool, you guys are sports, awesome. Like, when are you guys playing? Like, I'm playing <laughs> at 7 p.m. <laughs> and it kept being like... He's my plus one. <laughs> you guys, you guys, you guys. I'm like, it's so funny that people just do assume straight away that, yeah, that... that Maybe I'm like it can't just be me. Why can't I was the one that was checking in? It's not like he was checking in on my behalf. He really? was standing behind me, and he was like, "You guys." Because I think people default to thinking DJs are always going to be guys, and mm. I think if you look globally, there's still a, there's still a really low number of female DJs, and I think yeah. that's kind of where it stems from. Also, I feel like when I get Ubers to gigs and I say that I'm playing, they're like, "Oh, you're a singer." <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a singer. Surely you must. I mean, sing. I can sing if you want me to sing, but. <laughs> No, does, does that ever bother you? Does it get to you? Or? Um, no, not at all. Not at all. I've always been in male-dominated spaces and I actually feel very comfortable in them. Um, I feel like I'm doing good things for women by being there. And if I've, I've, I've actually made a point in the past few years to be somewhat of an advocate for gender equality in the music industry because in my role at this previous company I was working in, which was in the behind the scenes, that was also a space where there was no women. So yeah. I was like one of the only chicks around. So I've always been at the forefront of these spaces that are hopefully starting to change a little. Not that I went into finance, but I was the only chick in my <laughs> finance course too. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it feels nice to be leading by example, I think. And, and kind of who does inspire you around this? Like are, are there other DJs you look up to? Is, are there other, just other artists in your life, other creatives in your life or that you admire from afar? I actually, I've been asked this a few times and I don't have a lot, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I really should... I, I don't know, man. There's a couple of chicks behind the scenes in Australia that work for labels and um, for, like, 
yeah, a few other powerful positions in their relative companies, but in terms of artists, not really. Can I come back to you on that? Can yeah. you sit on it? We've got time. <laughs> you can phone a friend that. if you'd like. Yeah. <laughs> we should do that one day. Yeah, we should. What are the that. other options? Call mum, phone a friend. Call mum. You've mentioned a couple of times that kind of, uh, I think you put it before, almost like kind of uh, knowing the space and knowing kind of how to brand yourself a little bit and, you know, even just the amount of content that DJs have to create now. Mm. What, how, do, how do you kind of approach that? Like what's, you know, do you, is there a plan in place? Do you just want to make as much as you can? I don't know, man. I've had trouble with this because the first year or so um, of my career, I was lucky to get some big shows, but I wasn't necessarily playing music that really fed my soul, you know? And that also comes when you start out, you get opening slots and it's harder to do maybe heavier, more experimental or cool shit that you like when you need to cater to a certain time slot, maybe. So I had to play a lot of disco sets in my the beginning of my career which was really fun but it wasn't a true representation of me artistically and where I want to go so now I'm getting these later sites and more headline gigs and bigger shows I realized and and also I released a track recently I realized I had to sort of rebrand and I mean you've probably seen me on my stories I get very silly I do like your stories. yeah and that's sort of a little bit of my acting side just sort of creeping in because I just I just like to be really dumb and have a bit of fun and like not try to look hot or sexy or cool and like put on voices and whatever but at the same time like yeah, so I thought maybe I had to pull back on that with this rebrand, but then I realized that's not me. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like, how do you, that's, that's something I've struggled with. Like, how do you keep a sort of professional looking profile when you don't have, you know, professional photographers following you around all the time? Like, sure, I've got a few cool shots, but I can't afford to do what a lot of, a lot of other artists do, whereas every festival they have, they get a videographer to come down and they pay them anywhere from a few hundred to a thousand dollars to do a little video, or they get a professional photographer to come and they pay them, you know, four or five hundred dollars to follow them around. I just don't have that sort of money. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it, that's that's a great question, Jai. <laughs> do you not get photos and videos when you go and do a festival or a gig? Or they yeah. not normally have them? Or yeah, they do. Yeah, there's a couple around, but I don't know. Like the the last festival I played. Uh, yeah, I've played festivals before where you're not allowed the photos because they're mm. uh, the festival really? owns them. Yeah, and then and so I didn't think to even record anything on my phone or whatever. So then I didn't have anything from that. And like, yeah, the big festivals are great, but they aren't actually every week, you know. Or like, mm. yeah, I don't know. It's hard. How do you brand yourself? <laughs> oh God, <laughs> like, this is why I'm I'll in the market for a manager. Yeah. <laughs> to manage me. Please email. Uh, <laughs> the the name sports. Uh, so where did that come? Because I think Maddie Carr's an awesome name. Yeah, Maddie Carr's I, a great I, name. I know, Maddie Carr. It's it just, another superhero name, like does. Alex Adams. <laughs> it just rolls off the tongue. I love that name. But um, I think you were mentioning before off air about um, wanting to have a bit of an, a gender neutral name. So I did, I what did. was the inspiration behind sports? This artist, there's a few reasons. One, I wanted something fun because, I, as I said before with the videos, like my brand is actually not taking myself very seriously. Where there are a lot of other artists that do, and it just doesn't resonate with me. So I wanted something fun, something engaging. But there was this UK artist, there is this UK artist called Sophie, and she came out, she's this incredible artist, and I just remember thinking how obnoxious <laughs> that was to have such an ungoogleable name and just such a common name that I just was very impressed. So I was thinking, fuck, that would be really cool if I could have something just as, yeah, just as ballsy and hard to google and it was also it was also like back a few years ago a bit of a play on the whole like 
active wear thing. Like everyone's like, oh, uh, yes, a bit of that. And it was like a bit of branding. I originally was like, all my captions were like a little bit around sporty stuff and like, I don't know, my style is maybe a little bit more tomboy, the way I dress. So that all tied in. But yeah, and I also did want something um, androgynous. So all those reasons combined, one day I thought of sports and here we are. Very hard to find. Because it was interesting, you know, <laughs> and again, somebody else in the office, I mentioned your name and he actually was at your Lost Paradise uh, gig. Uh. And he's like, oh, I saw her. And I was like, how do you remember the name? Like it just, it didn't click for me because, you know, you think of but all these. But that's also it because I feel like because it's so ballsy, it's memorable. So that's yeah. why I remember Sophie. I'm like, fuck you, Sophie. How dare you name yourself that? <laughs> and I wonder, is her name Sophie? or um, <laughs> She just, like Madonna? Yeah, she, she's or really like or she name. just dropped her last name? She actually. Um, transitioned mm. so I think maybe now she would probably go by Sophie yeah mm. yeah I'm not sure what she called herself before so from an, uh, an Australian music scene you touched on this briefly before like where do you see kind of it at the moment where is it going like especially around like kind of um, you know tech and tech house and you know, kind of everything in that realm yeah so techno has been very centralized to only Sydney and Melbourne for a while now but it's starting to grow because we've had a bunch of artists um, in the sort of heavier house and techno scene that have all moved over to the UK and made big waves and come back for shows. So as such, it's had a bit of a ripple effect and Perth's now picking up. Really? And like Adelaide's now picking up. Still on the smaller scale, Trap is unfortunately still a very big genre. It's a huge genre. <laughs> and it's just huge. And they make way more money than anyone else does. Same in America. The trap artists are just, well, apart from hip-hop and rappers over there, it's just so much coin. Um, so that's popping. But yeah, I feel, like, I feel like the space that I'm in is growing, but it's still not um, the mainstream just yet, but it's coming up for sure. And do you think that's moving kind of out of the classic Sydney scene? Because obviously we've got the lockout laws now. It's hard to do anything. Yeah. So, you know, certainly from where I've seen, you know, venues are growing outside and they're kind of growing outside that CBD area. Mm. But, you know, we're seeing um, obviously a huge brewery scene pop up, which obviously is not really appropriate for heavy house and techno. Yeah. Not all the, well, not yet anyway. Yeah. I might be wrong soon. But small, very small pockets of bars starting to pop up with more kind of that dance scene. Yeah. I mean, it's different now. Back in the day when the cross was pumping, it was about the venues themselves. And mm. now with the big shutdowns of the venues, it's meant more warehouse parties and stuff like that, which has actually been very cool, which has meant that promoters just like, it's been like this for a little bit in Melbourne now from my um, perspective. So it's that's happening now in Sydney, whereas the parties are about the promoters and the mm. individual brands that are putting this on, which can hop around, which can hop around venues. But yeah, I mean... And is the money like? Because obviously, from a again coming back to your commerce degree, from a from a from an understanding where that revenue flows from, is the warehouse and kind of well, how legitimate is the warehouse seen from a revenue point of view in terms of is everyone getting paid and you know are promoters doing what they should be doing and are yeah. those parties as consistent for somebody like yourself to be able to be booked because those promoters might be on the fringes? Yeah, it's definitely a very trusting space right. in terms of the warehouse scene. Like everyone knows each other and supports each other. The money isn't as good as you can get from venues because venues make a lot of money on booze and stuff like that. Whereas warehouses are very DIY; you have to mm. hire and sound someone that would be, uh, companies that would be making a lot of money in Sydney are the speaker hire places. <laughs> it's like Buzz speaker hires would be making a killing. And like a few venues that yeah that rent out the spaces, like Bridge Hotels, been going well. But unfortunately, the police presence has been still very heavy, and really? it's not getting any better. So they've un they've now caught on to the warehouse scene, and they're shutting them all down. 
unfortunately. And the venues that are, have been throwing some of the few last successful parties, maybe close to the CBD, they've been coming with a really hefty presence and sniffer dogs and just ridiculous stuff. Like half of the kids aren't in there don't actually have any drugs on them, but like the sniffer dogs are just coming in and sitting down next to people and cavity searching people and no one's actually been done in the end and no wow. one knows their rights. And yeah. it's actually very... A very scary place in Sydney at the moment in terms yeah. of what the um, politicians and the New South Wales police force are doing. So I personally do get – I was quite upset a few years ago and now I'm just scared Yeah. for creatives and us and kids and people that will never experience the sort of relationships that you make from going out and the sort of experiences you have and like the – cathartic nature that clubs can give you when with music that you connect to and therefore people that you meet and connect to and that's just all being shut down in the saddest way yeah what do you think will be the youth's way of of expressing themselves i mean if we sort of take away those venues and Mm. the opportunity to experience music that we all did what how do you think they're going to do that i don't know maybe a little bit more visual art if possible I don't know. I just worry that we'll just be a little like as Sydney's become less relevant as an international city. It has, just, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Mm, Every yeah. everyone I know that's an artist, and myself included, when we travel overseas, everyone comes up to us and they're like, "Oh, we hear about Sydney." We're sorry, we're sorry for your loss. Yeah, I don't know. I just worry that Sydney is becoming becoming less relevant, or the creatives will go to Melbourne, which a lot of them have already. Yeah. Melbourne's still great. That's cool. That's yeah. great. Melbourne's fantastic. But Sydney just... Do you no. think it could become... I mean, Sydney, I always say, is the most incredible day city. You know, mm. we've become the yeah. best day city ever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, is there space for your kind of music in the day? Uh, you know, like I was a big quite... Sounds on Sunday kind of girl back in the day. <laughs> but like, and I'm sure there was definitely a room where your genre would have fit perfectly. That's funny you say that. Not that, not that I'm... Not this is again. I was talking about disco before, but I've been throwing a day party with a yeah. couple disco DJ mates of mine, house and disco, and that's been going pretty well. Where's that at? Jinglings. Oh, oh yeah, we do it yeah. every four to six weeks, and it's a day thing. But yeah, that that's been going well. So maybe that's cool. But still, like go. if you're less yeah. engaged by touring artists and you're less engaged by mu- the music industry as a whole, you're going to be less likely to go out during Ex- the day. It just doesn't bother you. Exactly. It kind of snowballs the irrelevance thing. I think, I think that's a really mm. good way to put it. Like I think you know, from a creative point of view, is Sydney in, in fear of becoming irrelevant? Yeah. Like that, that's a very real thing that could happen. Mm. It is. Um, and, and you're right. Like if, if you don't know about the music at all, why the hell would you turn up to a day party at, you know, 11.30 yeah. a.m., you know, with your yeah. sunglasses on and your drinking shoes ready? And yeah. it goes yeah. the other way. Artists aren't given the opportunity. Like I was lucky when I started, as I said, I already worked in the music industry, so I had some yeah. contacts that got me some gigs. But if you're starting out, you've got nowhere to do those earlier or super, super late slots that actually help you discover yourself as an artist and learn yeah. how to work on your craft mm-hmm. and everything. So all the biggest Australian Sydney-based artists, I mean, if you've gone to any of those rallies or been engaged with Keep Sydney Open's mm. political business they that they preach about, you understand that a lot of our biggest artists from Alice in Wonderland, Flight Facilities, Hayden James, like even Client Liaison because they're a few years older now, actually 
played in dingy slots and dingy yeah. clubs in the cross, and that's how they got their start. So now, and Flume as well, you know, now all these big international artists, which we just, we just won't have any in the future, you know. Do you think, and, and I think maybe to frame this up, is artists aren't given a stage to perform on. Exactly. So the counter-argument that I heard recently more in the hip-hop industry kind of area was if you look at somebody like Post Malone who, you know, used SoundCloud as their stage, are those, and this kind of comes back to a question more overall, are the internet platforms therefore becoming more competitive and are they ever going to be enough? Or are they only going to be, or are they only going to be viable for someone else? that had stages were also using SoundCloud. Yeah. So. so it's so we still are effectively taking another channel where it's probably, as you said, kind of in that moment, who are they rather than the bedroom recordings that, you know, they spent weeks on. You yeah. know, it's more about that 30 minutes live on stage. Well, you just got to discover yourself as an artist. As I said, my I've only just figured out after a few years my true passion of where I am musically and, like, that was from gigging. Yeah. I wouldn't have figured that out right. sitting in front of a computer producer. Yeah, exactly. Because I needed to do that to understand my space. Yeah. No pun intended with MySpace. I know. <laughs> you mentioned earlier that a lot of artists go overseas, make waves, and then come back. Mm. Is that something we, we've sort of touched on that um, in season one with a few people we've interviewed that seem to be a common occurrence in the music scene in, in all sort of genres. People go away and it seems sometimes easier to make it overseas in, yeah, in London and the US versus Australia. Is yeah, that common? It depends where you are. I think... If you go to America, you have to definitely establish your full team here. So if you're an artist, you have to have booking management, touring company and label and PR, all that jazz. And then once you have that, you, you like you really would have an understanding if you know whether or not you'll be successful over there because it's mainly hip-hop and trap artists. Once you go there, they've established connections over in LA, you get your visa, you go over there, then you blow up massively and people tend to stay over there and just come back for shows here, same with London, but I feel like you don't need to be as established before you leave. Mm-hmm. So the space that I'm in, which started in the more underground underground sort of world, hence why people just skip out of here because there's not really many shows, they, they go at a much smaller stage of their career and then not everyone makes it, but mm. there's more opportunities over there for artists like myself, so... That's what I'm going to try to do this year, actually. And then when they come back, you just come back for gigs and then you go back over there because there's just so much more going and you can find so many more people to connect to in whatever space you want to do because London's just the epicentre, really. And you mentioned earlier in terms of identifying as a creative. Um, in Australia, you said it was almost sort of harder when it comes to like acting or being yeah. a DJ. Yeah. Um, I tend to find a lot of Aussies tend to be slashies, like I'm an actress slash DJ mm. slash I work this other job. Mm. Um, mm. Whereas in America, it's almost like your art form is sort of respected a little bit more from the get-go. Mm. Yeah, I was saying before that, I think it's quite tough to be a creative in the early stages of your career in Australia because we we do have the whole tall poppy syndrome and we do have this yeah. self-deprecating nature and like almost kind of a shyness about our art. Whereas, and also, so if you say, yeah, so if you say you're an uh, actor or you're a musician or you're another sort of style of creative people in Australia, I feel you need to have had like a show or a big thing or yeah. like an album on the charts you before you to. even considered that. Yeah. And otherwise they just think you're bullshitting. And, and we 
absorb that for ourselves as well yeah. a little bit. And but in America, like if you're a photographer and you haven't had an exhibition, it doesn't matter. People respect you for that. Yeah. You just like go around taking photos, doing your editing, and that's what you want to do, and you're respected. Or like you're a DJ, so people book you because you say you are. And then maybe you do fuck up a few mixes, which I've seen plenty of in America, and the crowd doesn't care. They're just like, woo, yeah. Because <laughs> in Australia, you fuck up a mix, like you're out. Yeah. <laughs> you only get another gig for a year, and then you gotta earn it. It's like it's crazy. Yeah. That's that's amazing. I I, th- I yeah I I think that's a really important point, which is yeah how how do you define yourself as a creative? Yeah. And like when we call some people creatives, and we mm. instantly call other people not. And, I and why are we so hard on that? And and why do other people get to decide what you are? Yeah, you and, can and, do better, Australia. Yeah, yeah, and why do yeah why do we put people down? Because I know like even it's I've been so guilty mean. of it. It's like you're an yeah. actor. It's like, inner, yeah, but are you really Australians an actor? innately do that. <laughs> yeah. Why? I don't know. But we do it about everything. Yeah. Like, tall poppy syndrome is massive, man. Especially with women. Yeah. It's like if you're a female producer, so that's, that's even more. You know what you're saying? You're saying, do I have an issue with people thinking that I'm a guy or whatever? Am I uncomfortable in male spaces? No. But producing, it's like everyone is way quicker to think that you had help from a guy than if you're a guy and you had help from anyone. Mm. It's like, I dropped a track and so many people are like, oh, but like, did you write that? I'm like, yes. Really? Yeah. And they're like, oh, but you know this chick artist? Like, she doesn't, like, write that. Like, she's not really a producer. I'm like, she's got an album. What do you mean? Like, she wrote that. And, like, I used to work with Alison Wonderland. She's a friend of mine. And so many people would just come up to me and be like, Alison, like, didn't write that. Like, she had a lot of help. It's like, maybe she actually had a teeny bit of help. But, like, a lot of people have a teeny bit of help because you got to learn how to do things. People teach you how to do things. And she actually did. If I've seen the contract and I've seen what, like, the percentage that she has in terms of, like, ownership of writing credits and, like, it's actually 95%. So, shut up. No one reads (laughs) writing. Like, if you've ever, and I'm sure you have, but I'm like, no one reads writing credits. They're incredibly complex because... You and like me included, I've always commissioned someone. I'm like, can you go and write this kind of beat? Yeah. Bring it back, break it down the stems, and then I'll use it again. I'm like, how much do you need? How much credit do you yeah. want? And because, samples, yeah. especially about sampling. Yeah. Like, that's the whole point. It's like if it's collaborative, it works better. But yeah. Anyway, it's my rant. But no, it's crazy. It's like so many big artists in like the house scene as well. Like they don't they write the music and then someone else has written the top line and then someone else sings the top line but it's still their track yeah. it doesn't i don't know but yeah just in terms of the the scrutinizing on the gender part it's particularly harsh against female producers cuz there's less of us i guess there's way less than than DJs and and that's i guess i probably worded it poorly before that that's really where i was trying to get to which is mm. this idea that i think i think from what i've conversations we've had before we kicked off this season which is uh, a lot of women I talked to found it hard to accept that they were creative or felt that tall poppy syndrome harder than everyone else. Yeah, 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 yeah. Big and time. then secondly, they people were surprised when they came out about what their profession was. So whether it was uh, other DJs, whether it was producers, whether it was even film producers that were, who work in this building, it it was a real shock to people. You can yeah. see that surprise. It's also I think it's also a bit cooler. To be a chick and do it though. You yeah, know, it's like people you see, are surprised but also impressed. Yeah, it's like, oh, there's a, there's a chick a DJ. DJ. Yeah, like, but is, there, like, but is she producer, hot? Is the next question? Yeah. You're like, oh, it's like my, my friend who's a pilot. They're like, oh, she's a female pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she doesn't hand out the drinks. Yeah, or she's like, oh, yeah, I work for this airline. They're like, oh, a flight attendant. No, I'm a pilot. You're a pilot. Uh, is there any ever 
pressure to be uh, the full package as a female DJ in terms of like look wise like you know you're easy on very easy on the eyes Maddie um, and you know <laughs> I find you. like a lot of female DJs you know Alice in Wonderland she's gorgeous as well do you think that um, whereas you know you look at a lot of um, male do you ever think male that DJs are ugly. Yeah, well they yeah. are not attractive they're no they're not, uh, they're not the whereas <laughs> a lot of female not DJs hot. are attractive I was thinking like <laughs> I that wish boy they were sexy ja, oh, I wish God, very and <laughs> do you ever think that you know sex sells and you ever need to sex it up, sex it up? I mean you say that you'd normally dress like a tomboy yeah I mean I'm not comfortable um, there, there's a there's a bunch of DJs that use their bods and sexuality, and that's really great, and I think fantastic, good on them. People put them down for it, but I think that's really stupid because like it's their fucking body; they can do whatever they want yeah. with it, yeah. And that's their branding, and they like it. it. Makes them feel good. I don't feel good. I don't have any boobs to get out, but if I did have boobs <laughs> to get out, I wouldn't feel good doing it. Like I like wearing t-shirts or maybe sometimes like a crop top and pants or whatever, but I just wear whatever I want. And I have a healthy, I don't think I'm the hottest chick out there, but I am way more concerned with what I'm doing with the music than how I look. And the yeah. chicks that you asked before about chicks that I look up to, there's no one really that specific, but there is a general group of women in the UK and no one wears much makeup and no one right. wears like skimpy clothes. Like they just, they're just fucking cool chicks that are wearing shirts and maybe like a cool hat or whatever. And that's what I look <laughs> up to. That's what I think is cool. So for me, the most attractive I can be is looking cool how I feel cool is and that's just comfortable with stylish clothes which um, which isn't but you know what fuck if I want to wear a bikini one day if I'm like yeah. bikini yeah. top and like shorts which I, I DJed on a boat the other day actually I had like a guy's button up shirt that was undone with a bikini top underneath and it wasn't slutty but I just thought it was cool because that's just what I wanted to wear so that's yeah. what I did and that made me feel good but as I said there's no boobs that anyone's staring at anyway <laughs> so I just think, yeah, whatever you feel comfortable in is sexy. Yeah. You know? So that's, for me, maybe an answer to that. I don't know. Yeah, and it wasn't so much, I mean, I'm with you. I'm like, whatever you feel comfortable. It was more like an industry thing. Yeah. And I mean, everyone wants to look good. The yeah. guys that are not very attractive also want to look good. You know, I know. Every day I try and look good. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was that was really amazing. Um, Can I ask a couple of questions yeah, to finish yeah. up? Sorry. No, no, no. Um, a couple of things I just want to, uh, is, is there any advice that you would give oh, to yeah. young creatives? <gasps> Are there, is there any advice that you would give young creatives who want to get into the DJ or the producing scene? Yes, because it's still relevant to me in a few ways. And, like, it seems really daunting. It seems really, really daunting. But just try to do something. And that one thing that you can do today will lead to, like, something else you can do tomorrow. And we have access to so much more technology and networks and social media and blah de blah blah and advice and podcasts and everything that we didn't, you know, 10 years ago. So it's all very possible. And if you come from a passionate space, people will notice. So, yeah, even if it seems really daunting, you can actually make waves at some point. It's just about working hard and enjoying yourself and people pick up on that because yeah other than music is there another creative outlet that you have that people might not know about you I'm a struggling actress <laughs> in Sydney no I've done a few things but yeah acting as I mentioned before was always the dream so last year I did a few things that I was very proud of but it's even harder 
to try to act in Sydney than be in a musician because there's so many less opportunities and you can't actually work on anything tangible on a daily basis like you can with anything to do with music. You can just do a bit more. You can make a mix or you can work on a track. But acting, you need a gig to do it. And then that for that one audition, there's hundreds of people auditioning and just it's Australia, it's very tough. But I think and I think that is the difference between authorship and that's what you're doing. You are authoring your uh, art beyond being a part of somebody else's art. Yeah. So I think when I think about it, and even because I didn't know that part about you, I'm like, you're already doing so much to kind of author what you want to put out in the mm. world. People, like, th- there are fewer people doing that than people being a part of somebody else's art. No, there's so, I, I quite enjoy powerful positions. Like, I've always gravitated towards that. That's why I held off on acting for so long. I thought I'd go to the music thing so I could just be a bit more in control of it. And then the dream is to hopefully, once I'm more established and connected in this path, that it's a creative space and I'll meet other creatives and then yeah. I can be in, you know, act a little bit more because I'll be just a little bit more linked up yep. or whatever. But yeah, in terms of, I, with the acting thing, it's sort of the same. Like you got to write and produce and film something and then you can be the star and that's how so many actors have made it mm. you know it was by doing that or in Australia like so many comedians have made it by doing that but like it's just all these creative fields that people have really mastered like sound design and lighting and directing and cinematography that's just like too hard of an ask for an mm. actor to do all that like we mm. just want to be the character that we gravitating towards and work with other people because that's the joy of it is everyone's in their prime. But unfortunately, it's a bit harder to figure out than... But I think that's because what you're talking about is the art and science between knowing how to produce a film and knowing how to be in a film. But I think, again, that's where from you, you went from being a DJ to a producer. Yeah. And as you said, it's a math head you need to be a producer. Yeah. But you need to understand who you are in that artistic moment of being on a stage. Yeah. And I think that's where... It's very rare to find people who can do those two things. So, you know... Fucking good on you. But, uh, <laughs> act and DJ? I uh, know uh, to oh. understand the art and science oh, right, of right, creativity. So and to act and DJ. Yeah, also, to act yeah. And DJ. Yeah, yeah. So don't yeah, play yeah, that. Yeah. No, yeah. no. I don't know if Ruby Rose is that good at acting. Just saying. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I think she's so average. Oh. Anyway, sorry. I know. She looks good on it's screen. It's an unpopular <laughs> opinion, but. Uh, I did have one question down here, which I won't ask you, which was, did Paris Hilton inspire you to become a DJ? But I won't ask you that. <laughs> I didn't ask you that. It's fine. <laughs> I actually have a Facebook group for women in the music industry that I made, like, because I just knew so many and thought that we could all help each other if we were all put in the same space. And it's a fantastic group. And the picture... On the Facebook group is Paris with a bejeweled headphones, and then this guy with like head with little like earpiece coming up, like mixing for her, and she's just like got her hands in the air, looking off in the distance. So that's she, amazing. And I yep, have a friend. Fine. <laughs> I have a friend that's met her. She's actually very intelligent. She can't DJ for shit, but she she's very DJ, intelligent. That whole it, voice yeah. is fake. Yeah, I would. Like, that, that's the best. Okay, well, I'm glad I did ask you that. <laughs> that was brilliant. I love she that. Co- I like all the boss bitches, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Not a DJ, not a DJ, but a boss. Yeah, I did listen to your song, Professor Bitch. That was your first production? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Listen, out on all the Spotify's, yeah. Spotify's and the and iTunes SoundClouds. and Professor the SoundClouds. Yeah, your... so if people do want to um, hear your work, where can mm. they find you? So I did streamline the social media, so it was easy to find, and that's at Mad Car Sports, M-A-D-C-A-R-R Sports. But that now Spotify's involved, it's a bit harder, so... 
You just Google Professor, you just search Professor Bitch Sports on Spotify and the song will come up. Fantastic. And it's a great song. Actually, I listened to it a few times today. Thanks, yeah. Um, I think this is, this kind of framed up for me a lot about what I want to talk about and what I think that we should talk about everyone as a collective, which is, it's hard to define creativity. It's hard to understand the complexities that being any gender brings into that. But I think that's why this whole play between creativity and culture starts to make sense. It's like, creatively, we are here, and that is a reflection of our culture over here. So how do those two things relate to each other, but how do they play off each other? Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it was amazing first episode. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Maddie. Guys. And as always, guys, thanks for tuning in and listening. If, um, if you really liked this episode, why don't you share it with your friends? We are on iTunes and Spotify. Flick them a link. Have a look at the other uh, – have a listen to the other episodes that we've recorded. Uh, we will be getting back to our weekly program. Yeah. And if you want to hit us up so you can uh, find Jai, he's at Double Star Co. Or I'm Ms. Darlinghurst, MS Darlinghurst. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks, Maddie. Thank you.